If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter 1, and we will continue on as we've been, uh, and we will start in verse 29. And so if you have your Bibles, open with me, and if you have your uh, small yellow sheet of paper, uh, we will go through this, and the title is Jesus Restores, Retreats, Prays, and Preaches. So that's the angle we'll take this morning, and so if you will follow along, you'll be reminded that last week uh, Jesus drove the demons out of the synagogue, and the, the demon left the man convulsing and screaming, and um, the fame of Jesus was beginning to spread throughout the land and the region. And so here we have in verse 29, Jesus is leaving the synagogue. So let's read it together. And immediately Jesus, he left the synagogue and entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law uh, was ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many a demon. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go out to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. Help us connect to your heart through your word. Lord, we all walked in here with something. None of us are skating through on simplicity and easiness. All of us have things on our shoulders that we are either worried about, distracted by. So Lord, I pray for these next 20 some odd minutes that you would open our hearts, that we would be razor focused on you, your word, and what you are calling us to as we leave. Lord, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, you see in verse 29, immediately Jesus left the synagogue and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, I would not say that this is something worthy of writing in your blanks here, but it's something that I want to get across because it's, a, it's just a good parallel, good spiritual truth and something that's deeply on my heart for each of us this morning. Jesus left the synagogue and Simon and Andrew, along with James and John, they took him home, right? They took Jesus back to their house. Now, again, this is not right here in the text. Jesus is saying, hey, take me home. But I'm reminding us that the goal of our Sunday morning worship gatherings is to lift high the name of Jesus, but not just exercise our faith in this room at 305 South Perry Street or at our home watching on the TV. Our goal is to take Jesus everywhere we go, that he would be a part of every conversation, every interaction, everything that we do, every decision that we make. We take the Lord with us everywhere we go that he's not meant to be contained in the synagogue, in the temple, in the church house. The goal of our gathering is to ingest the very good things the Lord has done for us through his word and then take it out with us to the people that we will interact with, to the relationships that we'll have on our car ride home. That the gospel, the words of the Lord Jesus, do not simply have weight and merit while we're in the sanctuary or listening to a sermon. They carry weight everywhere we go. And so it's important this morning that I just remind you, because it's kind of there right here in the text, that immediately as Jesus left, they brought Jesus back with them. 
So friends, if I can pray week after week, the thing that I, I walk in here as I walk out of my car into the church is today, Lord, would you help me? Would you help us as a church? Not merely listen to the words, not really recite the songs, but that would it impact our hearts so much that we leave these doors, that we leave and turn off our TVs, and we are different people because of the word. That's always our goal. We, we never want to go through the motions and just say, look at this good word I learned, or didn't they have a good point today, and, and talk about it over, over our lunch and just leave unchanged. Our goal always is to be different people closer into the image of Jesus. And so this morning, this simple good truth came out that Simon and Andrew, as they are leaving, they take Jesus home with them. So can that be our goal today? That as you leave this church, you're not going to leave Jesus here in your pew. That as you have invited Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life, it's a reminder that he goes with you, he goes before you, he's in every decision and relationship that you carry forth from this place. So we're not talking about it. We leave here with, with people who have changed hearts. So that's my goal. That's my prayer as we go through this. But that's just a bonus tip. You don't have to write it down. That's just an extra little nugget of information there. All right, so we get to verse 30. Jesus enters into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, and Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and her fever left her. Imagine in this moment, they get to this household and Peter's mom, mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And so Jesus goes up to the mother-in-law, reaches down, touches her, lifts her up, and she is fever-free. And then she begins to just chill out, serve. What a beautiful statement in scripture that Simon Peter's mother-in-law, sick with a fever, hurting and down, Jesus comes and not just speaks words of life into her, but actually reaches down, touches her, lifts her up, and she begins to say, well, this is cool. I think I may just hang out here in the bed for a little bit longer. Or maybe she just would say, hey, this is great. I'm fever-free. I'm just going to hang around for a little bit longer, just make sure everything's cool. No, she gets up and she willingly begins to serve. What a reminder for us when our healing from our sinfulness and our wickedness, as you see in number one, Jesus' healing was complete. That as Jesus healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law, she began to get up and serve out of recognition for what Jesus had done for her. That Jesus had taken her fever completely, and so she didn't begrudgingly get up and begin to serve. She willingly got up and began to serve the disciples and the people in the household because of what Jesus had done for her. A reminder to us when Jesus comes in and invades our lives, when we invite him to be the Lord and leader of our life, do we just say, well, that's awesome. I guess I'll just come and continue sitting in the pew and sitting in the waiting room of life until the Lord takes me home. We just say, awesome, I've got my get out of hell free card. I'm just going to chill out until God takes me home. Do you see the response to when Jesus invades your soul is, a very willingness to serve, a willingness to give of yourself to the cause of the Lord's kingdom. And so I look at this and I'm reminded when Jesus came into my life, when he I recognized the depth by which I have been forgiven, what Jesus has done for me on the cross, my response is not, huh, that's pretty cool. My response in worship is not just, all right, I guess... And years from now, when I die, I'll be okay. The response 
to the reality of your sin being taken away as far as the east is from the west. Not because you did something great, but because of what God has done on the cross. The response to that should be a willingness to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Whatever you take me to, whatever detours come my way, whatever happens in this life, I am ready to follow you. I stand at attention, ready to go, ready to serve, ready to love. And so it does impact everything around and in every nature of our life. And so this reminder for us that Jesus' healing was complete is a reminder of what God has done in your life and my life. Yes, we are not perfect. We are still in the process of sanctification. But in that moment that you confessed your sin and you gave your life to Jesus, when you said, yes, Lord, I am ready to follow you, in that moment, Jesus took you from death to life. And you're not in the process of being stricken out of the Lamb's Book of Life and then written back in every other day. No, you are sealed for that day. Jesus' healing over you was complete as you called upon the name of the Lord. And as we did the exercise last week, nothing, no height nor depth nor anything in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So Jesus' healing of Simon's mother-in-law was complete, foreshadowing what would happen on the cross when our healing would ultimately be complete in Jesus. Now I want us to continue for a moment and look at that evening at sundown. They brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. 33, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. Now be reminded that Jesus has just left the synagogue and he has healed a man. And it says the the fame of the Lord has spread throughout the whole land. And here Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And word is beginning to spread that this Jesus can do an incredible healing by simply touching or speaking healing over him. And people are just beginning to have their lives changed and all their ailments are being taken away. Demons are being cast out and everything seems to be changed when Jesus invades their lives. And so what seems to happen is that the hurting and the sick and the demon-possessed begin being brought to Jesus in droves. Now, I want us to consider, and maybe you need to close your eyes for a moment and consider what this would look like. Just don't fall asleep, okay? Hang with me. To close your eyes for a moment and imagine what this would look like. That today, let's say that Jesus were to come into our church and we would, we would know that a touch from Jesus would heal every cancer known to man. That in an instant, your cancer would be taken away, all of your ailments. Let's say a touch from Jesus would say that you are uh, free from coronavirus and you would have no problems with coronavirus the rest of your life. Have you all seen the clinics around town? I see the long lines trying to get a vaccine. Can you imagine this morning that Jesus in our church would take away every person's problems in life? Can you imagine the walls of the church just being droves of people coming in to meet and touch Jesus? Can you imagine now? That in verse 32, 33, as Jesus' fame is being spread, all who are sick are pressed against the doors of this little house. Now, we know from Scripture that Jesus is fully man. He feels the fatigue at times. He, He sweated drops of blood and fatigue and weariness. Jesus did not have immunity from the struggles of being fully human. He had to eat. He had to take naps. He had to sleep. And so imagine for a moment the weight that Jesus was experiencing in healing and driving out demons and healing all their diseases and ailments. Can you imagine what that must have been like for his compassion, his emotion, all these people pressed up, wanting to heal, wanting to help? Can you feel it? Can you feel the weight of what this must have been like to have been in this little house as all the sick and the hurting 
And the demon possessed, pressed up against the glass, pressed up against the doors of, the, of this little house. I begin to think what that weight must have felt like. How fatiguing and tiring and laborious that must have been. But the next turn of the phrase, you get verse 35. Can I tell you, this kind of broke me down this past week, if I'm honest. After all Jesus is going through and experiencing the difficulty of what he was doing, all these people sick and hurting and the compassion that we see Jesus administer to the people. In verse 35, what does Jesus do? Does he say, oh man, let's take a nap and I'll get to it? Or what does he do the very next morning? Rising very early in the morning. While it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, there's a lot going on here that we need to unpack that the, the disciples are coming to Jesus and saying, look, Jesus, all these people, they're coming to see you. They have all these ailments. You are the next cool, big thing. You are the popular guy. Everybody's coming to you. This is good for your popularity. We need to keep this up, man. We need to keep going. See, all they're seeing is that People have a need. Jesus is meeting a need. They're just coming to Jesus to get all their problems taken care of and be good and dandy. They're not seeking a Messiah. They're seeking an end to their problems. And so Jesus, recognizing that there's a problem here, that people are just coming to him to have what they want Jesus to do done to them. And so in the midst of a thriving, emotional, tiring ministry, what does Jesus do? He retreats to pray. Number two on your outline there is simply Jesus' pattern of retreat. See, Jesus' ministry and his mission drove him to pray. Jesus' ministry, his mission, what he was called to do, the very things that were keeping him fatigued and weary, the things that were driving him towards ministry were the very things keeping him on his knees. I ask you an important question today. How's your prayer life going? Do you feel like the Lord is driving you to your knees because of the needs that are all around you. Can I tell you, I I know that this is not a universal spiritual truth, and you may say, I'm struggling with prayer, and I'm still doing all these things, but can I tell you just in a personal, confessional kind of way that when I am walking in what the Lord has called me to do, when I am taking steps of faith-filled obedience that at times fill me with a little bit of fear and apprehension, When I'm doing things for the Lord that calls me to be fearful and say, Lord, I don't know how I can accomplish this. I'm worried about this. I'm nervous about this. That that drives me to my knees almost more than anything else. When there's urgency to my prayers, when I'm preaching and sharing the gospel with lost people, it points me to my knees because I desperately need the Lord. But in the seasons of life, when I seem to have it all together, when my problems seem to be very slight, when I'm doing things kind of that I can do, when, I, when I'm figuring it out, when I'm not sharing the gospel with lost people, when I'm just kind of doing and going through the motions, can I tell you that my prayer life begins to greatly subside? Are there urgency in your days? Are you walking in faith-filled obedience that drives you to your knees? Are you doing things for the Lord that calls you to at times be a little bit nervous and frightful and say, Lord, I've got to have you. Please come through, Lord. Without you, I will surely fail. Lord, I need you in this conversation, Lord. I know that I can't forgive this person in my own might and own power. Lord, I know that my speech is not seasoned with salt unless you intervene. So, Lord, help me. See, our ministry, 
God's calling on our lives should drive us further to our knees. And and I can just tell you over and over in my own life, and I feel like I'm just coasting by, going through the motions, not living my life in any conceivable way full of faith, that my prayer life suffers greatly. The urgency seems to be gone. I, I can tell you, even as we've watched I walked through my mom's battle with cancer. The times when I would get the reports back that mom's cancer had returned and it was really looking bleak or when there was uh, just grave news delivered as she fought her battle. Do you know that those news reports of of graveness and uh, difficulty would drive me deeper to my knees as I heard those desperate reports? And then as she began to get better, I can tell you that at times I felt myself pulling away from prayers that she's, she's good right now, not intentionally, But the urgency would often drive me to prayer and to call other people to pray and get other people around the horn to pray. And so Jesus' ministry and mission drove him to prayer. And so I want to remind you, Mark gives us three points in his gospel where Jesus is driven to a desolate place to pray. All three came in moments of great crisis and big moments in ministry. One was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark talks about Jesus going to a desolate place and praying. The second was as Jesus feeds the 5,000, he begins to walk on water and hear the first of the three. The people are coming to Jesus just for simply what they can get out of him, their physical needs met. And Jesus knows what's going to happen with his disciples here in just a moment. So he's driven to a desolate place to pray, which would be the second point here, that Jesus went to a desolate and secluded place to pray. So Jesus' pattern of retreat was his ministry, drove him to prayer, and he also went and secluded himself to a desolate place. You see verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed. He left their home, and he went to a desolate, secluded place to pray. It's a reminder of the nature of distraction that the devil will use in your life to distract you from the very thing that God has called you to, is to connect with his heartbeat. How many times have you sat down to open your word or spend time in intentional prayer and just simply been distracted? I can tell you in my life, the devil uses distraction after distraction after distraction to pull my attention away from the very most important thing. Even this morning, as I've preached several months ago about how our phones are changing us, and I joked about how my watch sometimes goes off while I'm preaching, and in that moment, I began thinking, I wonder who that was. But I'm wondering, I've been preaching now for 20 minutes. I'm wondering how often, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of your phones have gone off? How how many have faced a little vibration in your pocket or maybe you felt a little ding on your wrist and in that moment as you're worshiping or you're hearing a sermon, you think, I wonder what that was. I wonder what's going on. Is everything okay? Everybody all right? And the same thing is true as we spend our morning, as we spend our afternoon praying or devoting ourselves to the reading of God's word. How many times have we been studying or reading or praying and little distractions go off, a little ding, a little ring, a little thing happens and you're taken away from that moment anticipating and getting deep with God's word, and you're taken out. You see, Jesus seclude himself to a desolate place, a place devoid of distraction where he can focus on retuning his heart into the image of his Father. Friends, in a small way, I would encourage you, as you go into your prayer closet, as you begin to have your time alone with the Lord, that you would take away every distraction that you can. Or maybe some of you need to go to a secluded spot. Maybe you need to have an intentional time away to retreat. I can tell you there's a lot of distractions in our household. We've got three kids running around like crazy people almost from the moment to the evening. And so it takes some intentionality to get away and find times of intentional desolation to pray and reconnect to the Lord's heart. 
But there's even more here. Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now remind yourself what Jesus has just experienced, that there's people bringing all sorts of hurting people and there's got to be fatigue and tired and weariness. And here Jesus intentionally retreats. The first thing in the morning he does is retreat to a desolate place. Intentionality to get up, a priority to get up and make the first thing that he does to start his day connecting with the Lord. So how do you start your day? I'll tell you yesterday, I was actually sitting here thinking of this, this 8.30 service, and I reminded myself how I started my day yesterday. Uh, Micah got up a little bit early, so I took him to Walmart. That's what you do, right? And I, uh, I got three donuts for myself and a Dr. Pepper, and I ate every single one of them, and I drank every last drop, and I felt like trash all day long. All day. Felt terrible. Headache, stomach hurt. All day felt like trash. And it was like this morning as I got up to talk about starting your day with intentionality. Thought about yesterday how just all day felt weighted down by these three very large donuts and this very heavy Dr. Pepper. And I think about how often I start my day. Reaching over, turning my iPhone alarm off and beginning to ingest garbage after garbage of nonsense in my phone until I finally get out of bed and start my day. Because this hit me, hit me pretty hard this week. That Jesus began to start his day with intentionality, connecting to the heartbeat of the Father. So how do you start your day? Do you start your day filling your heart with the joy of the Lord, with scripture and truth, and with reminding yourself of the truth of God's word and his good concepts? Or do you fill your heart and your soul at the beginning of the day with trash and just continue on feeling the weight of the trash all day long? Jesus intentionally got away to a desolate place and he went early in the morning. Because you see what's going to happen in verse 36. As Jesus went out to a desolate place and there he didn't do anything other than pray. That was his goal. His intention was to get to a desolate place, not to just get away from all the people, but he was there to pray. And so in verse 35, he prayed. And then in verse 36, and Simon and those who were with him searched for him. Now, the Greek word for search is that not that they were looking for him, saying, Jesus, where are you? No, they were, they were essentially hunting for him with malice. They're saying, Jesus, what's going on, man? Don't you know we have so many people looking for you? Everybody's trying to find you. You got to come on out because you're popular. We got to capitalize on this. People are wanting you. You got to come on out, man. This desolate place is garbage because you're out there and the people need you. So get away from all this and come on in. They're hunting after him. And maybe you or I may fall prey to this. Oh, people need me. I got, I got to get out there. But Jesus understood his purpose. See your number three there, Jesus' clarity of mission. That Jesus knew why he was sent here. He knew the purpose behind why he had come. In verse 36, they found him, verse 37, and he said, everyone's looking for you. And Jesus responded to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For this is why I came out. Jesus felt the, the heaviness of the people simply wanting Jesus to perform like a genie. Jesus, here's our problems. Take them away and we'll, we'll just go on. He felt the disciples just seeing G Jesus like a genie to get the popularity of the people. Jesus knew that's not why he had come. He'd come to preach a message of repentance to ultimately point people to the day that he would die on the cross to save them from their sins. So Jesus left and began to preach 
throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus had a razor-sharp focus and clarity on what he had been called to do. To come to this earth, be Emmanuel, God with us, live a sinless, perfect life. Point people to the ultimate reality that he would die in their place on the cross to take all of their sins away. So as we leave this place, as we turn off the TV and we begin to live in the world, the question remains, will you follow the pattern of Jesus in your life this week? The rubber meets the road as you open the doors of this church, as you turn off the TV and get in your cars and go into the world around you. Will you follow the pattern of Jesus? Will you begin your day in the morning with prayer and intentionality? Will you flood your heart with the joy of what it means to live in truth? Will you have clarity of why God has called you to this earth? And will you leave this place with Jesus invading every part of your life? I pray it's a reality. I pray that we don't just listen to the words and live our lives unchanged. Lord, help us. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you love us and care for us. And even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, you made us alive together with Christ. We thank you that it's by grace we have been saved. Lord, help us when we get in the distraction and the, the heaviness of our days that oftentimes we, we retreat from you. But Lord, we want to retreat to you. Lord, help us when we fall short. Give us encouragement this day to reignite our passion to follow you and trust in you more deeply. So thank you for this day. And as we come to this time of invitation, would you open our hearts? In your name we pray. Amen.